have a welcoming place, an indispensable purpose, and a special position in the church body. morning. My name is Gabriel, and my wife and I have been members here at this church maybe about six years. One thing about me is I'm a third grade teacher, and you might not think it, but I am very serious as a teacher. So serious, I dedicate every Friday for students to read a poem that has been canonized in some way in classical or in modern literature for third graders. <laughs> there is a poem I love to have my students analyze and explicate which carries the weighty theme of having a sense of purpose. And I would like to recite it to you. The poet is Jack Prelutsky. And the poem is called, Be Glad Your Nose Is On Your Face. <laughs> Be glad your nose is on your face, not pasted on some other place. For if it were where it is not, you might dislike your nose a lot. Imagine if your precious nose were sandwiched in between your toes. That clearly would not be a treat, for you'd be forced to smell your feet. Your nose would be a source of dread were it attached atop your head. It soon would drive you to despair, forever tickled by your hair. Within your ear, your nose would be an absolute catastrophe. For when you were obliged to sneeze, your brain would, rather, would rattle from the breeze. Your nose, instead, through thick and thin, remains between your eyes and chin not pasted on some other place. Be glad your nose is on your face. I was joking about the seriousness of this poem. It's very silly, I know. But there is an interesting idea embedded with the nose's placement on our face. The nose has a specific purpose, a specific placement, and it's aptly positioned to optimize what it does. In our text today, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul also uses an extended metaphor to show us how we as individuals in the midst of diversity have place, we have purpose, and we have position in the church body. Before we get into reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31, let me set the scene to why Paul addresses the church the way he does. Just a few verses earlier, Paul is returning to issues raised in the Corinthians, namely spiritual gifts or the equity of them. He uses this phrase, now concerning, to indicate what the issue raised by the Corinthian church members. So in the first verse of chapter 12, he writes, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
it seems as though the Corinthians felt that the differences in spiritual gifts caused some rifts. Our brother Brian Lowe preached on this text in mid-October. So I know it's not as fresh in your minds right now. But let me give you a quick refresher. Brian's main point was that God gives us spiritual gifts to build up each other. And it's for His glory and for the common good. Brian highlighted that Corinthians seemed to have a problem with others speaking in tongues, as well as other spiritual gifts, which caused division. In our verses today, Paul talks about the implications of having a congregation with different gifts, but still being unified. Let's read our text today. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, then second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. That last section is not written in, but it is actually part of the verse. So it seems like Jack Prelutsky 
wasn't the first to meditate on the purpose of a body part. This brings us to the main point of the passage. Before I say that, one of our brothers who moved back to the United States, Peter Ting, was a master at using alliteration to illustrate his point, and I think he would have been proud at my attempt at it. Hopefully the alliteration will be memorable to tattoo truth to our hearts. Here's the main point. We have a welcoming place, an indispensable purpose, and a special position in the church body. We have a welcoming place, an indispensable purpose, and a special position in the church body. We have a welcoming place, an indispensable purpose, and a special position in the church body. The sermon will be broken up into three parts. The first part is a welcoming place, embedded in verses 12 to 13. The second is an indispensable purpose, with verses 14 through 26. And lastly, a special position, with verses 27 through 31. Let's begin with a welcoming place. Having a welcoming place in church should be an obvious statement. But it feels like it's not always the case. Let's read verses 12 and 13 again, but this time, if you have a pencil or if you have a pen, I would like you to write a circle around the word one each time it is read. And then draw a rectangle around many each time that is read. So circle the word one, a rectangle around the word many. Are you ready? Okay. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. When you look at all the circles compared to the rectangles, you can see the focus of Paul's words. He wants us to be one, and this is not to say oneness in loneliness, but oneness in the body in the midst of diversity. We are to be inextricably connected to each other as to be made a singular unit that the Bible and Jesus is called the body. This begs the question, how are we to operate as a singular unit? How are we to operate in this manner? Paul will address it later, so I want to talk a little more about this body that is with Christ and in one spirit and baptized in one body. This passage is specifically talking about the members of the church body, and he introduces the idea that all were baptized into this body. Our church, WSBC, does practice membership. And if you are interested in learning more about that, what membership means, please come to the Membership Matters courses before the church services. The next Membership Matters course is next Sunday, it's about why join a church, and it starts at 8.50 a.m., and you get a chance to hear me drone on again. 
Membership in our church helps us not only keep each other accountable, but helps us be intentional about unity. The connectedness that we share in membership will come, again, come up again later in this sermon. A requirement for membership, as we actually read it in our covenant, in our constitution, is a public declaration of faith in Christ that is manifested in baptism. Tonight, our church will be celebrating a baptism. And that is truly a beautiful thing. When we look at Paul's words, baptism is not only for the individual being forgiven and having a renewal of spirit. It is about the unity we share as a church body. With that being said, if you are a professing Christian who is not a member of your local church, we encourage you strongly to consider doing that. You can be sitting in this room with all of us and still not quite be a part of the oneness of our church body. If you are not a Christian, we do encourage you to talk with an elder or a member to know more about Jesus and the truth he brings. This is a welcoming place. We want all Christians, we want all who believe in Christ to fellowship in one spirit. Paul mentions many and clarifies that many with Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Jews or Greeks implies that he is talking about nations and all are welcomed. Whenever Paul mentions Greeks, he is meaning non-Jews in general. When I used to go back to the United States before some of these restrictions, I would see something that was particularly annoying. Many of the churches in the U.S. had the United States flag prominently displayed. It may seem innocuous, but the U.S. flag signals patriotism and association between God and country. The way Paul writes this verse is that it doesn't matter where you're from as long as you're baptized in the same spirit we all are. We are one body and the U.S. flag seems to erode that feeling. Outside of the U.S. and here in our context in Shanghai, China, Christianity is strongly, a is strongly associated to the United States and to the West in general. So I believe it is important to focus on the oneness of the body, not the diversity in its midst. In its midst. Conversely, in China, many churches check your passport at the door. Our church does not do this practice. Because we are following Paul's idea, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Our church, WSBC, is quite diverse with different generations, different nationalities, different professions, and many other differences. But we are one body. It is easy to regard Paul's emphasis on the oneness in the church as a pithy platitude that is, at best, aspirational. Yet Paul, as a legal scholar and a fine mind, fleshes his out idea out in an extended metaphor about the body. It's truly rewarding that Paul didn't just stop writing and kept 
but he kept bringing truth that is actually encouraging. We are now at our second point, that Paul reassures us that we have an indispensable purpose. Let's reread verses 14 through 20. For the body does not consist of one, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would this be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. When I was reading this, these verses, I think there are three pitfalls that Christians and others can fall into when we're reading this. Sometimes I stumble into the pitfall of comparing myself to others in our church body, and I believe I am not the only one. In the midst of our brothers and sisters, I can start feeling the first pitfall, feeling useless. As I take stock of my, some of my involvements, I get myself down with my lack of gifts. I played in the music team as a violist. If you don't know what that is, it's okay. It's a bigger violin. Providing little ornamentations to the music that are really unnecessary. And you definitely don't want me to sing. My wife has to hear me every day. She could attest to that. I've been a deacon of resources, and now we have a new deaconess, but during these recent days when I was the deacon, the challenge of procuring materials to our book table has recently made me feel defeated and useless. I'm standing here at the pulpit, but merely as a fill-in for, in my mind, the real preachers. I've taught childcare, and even as a professional teacher, I have had missed opportunities and taught bad lessons. I look out at you all, and I see rock stars of our faith, even the newbies. Have you felt this way? Have you felt that you didn't have gifts or your gifts didn't measure up? Have you felt useless? Yet when I read these verses, Paul has reassured us that the differences in our gifts was not an accident. I may not be quote unquote a hand, but that doesn't make me any less part of the body. When we read these different body parts that Paul lists, we as Christians can rest safely in the fact that our differences within the body is what God has intended. Whatever our character or gifts or role within the church, we are no less important to the others. A foot isn't excluded from a part of the body just because it's not a hand or the nose, which Jack Polutsky would say. While I was listing some of my lack of gifts, you might have felt that there was a little bit, a little bit, just a little bit of, of envy. Did you feel that? 
Well, you're wrong. There are lots of bits of envy. <laughs> there are a lot of you that I am envious of your gifts. My wife with her great voice, but has to deal with my pitchy singing. I really envy all you singers that can maintain a stable pitch. Have you felt envious of another? I mean that true envy where it's distracting you from hearing God's word. Paul knows that uselessness and envy are emerging out of our sinful hearts. So this verse enables us to realize our mutual dependence on each other. As it mentions in verse 18, we need to trust God in the way he has arranged the parts. God's spirit has given us these different gifts. And when we envy someone else's gift, it is actually us thinking that we know better than God. When Paul was speaking to the Corinthians, he was imploring that each Corinthian Christian needed to get on living as a part of the body that God has made them. This is directly applicable to our roles in the church. For those of you who are here that do not profess faith, I also believe that this, way, this verse is a way for you not to be not intimidated by what you perceive as unachievable character or immense talent in the individuals here. Within our faith, all have purpose and all are one in the body. There is another trap that could happen as it relates to the differences within the church body embedded in verses 21 through 26. I'm going to read those aloud. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, and that, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The other trap that Paul introduces here is pride. Another member, the I, cannot tell the hand, you're no use here. Paul challenges the Corinthian Christians to realize their mutual dependence on each other. Pride in their role means that they are ignoring the importance of the different and special roles of all the other church members. Like he said in verse 21, the body needs a head and feet, so the church needs all the other church members. And it seems like there are Christians who seem to have these great gifts, but they need, instead of giving in to pride, to use them to honor those who are elevated, which are those who are weaker. That's the essence of being one in the church where Others are being built up as individual contributors to the whole. That's Brian's main point in the sermon in October. Where we use our gifts to build each other up. This brings us to Paul's direct address about the Corinthian problem of spiritual equity. His response brings us to my third point, that we have a special position in the church body.
Let's read verses 27 through 31. But I have a favor to ask of you. Paul wrote a series of rhetorical questions that elicit the answer of no in verses 29 and 30. When I get to those questions, I will pause and I would like you as the congregation to answer in a resounding no. Let's read. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? Those are some of the quietest resounding no's, but that's okay. It's still a no. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, I will show you a still more excellent way. The initial problem that Paul was addressing with the Corinthian church was that they felt some of the spiritual gifts, namely speaking in tongues, made the church body unequal or even hierarchical. Paul still reiterates that we are the body of Christ and individual members of it. But then he turns his attention to the church. The church is usually referred to as the local body, the local church, like our church here. But this church is referring to the universal church. This is significant because it's one of the earliest examples for using the term universally. Paul then shows that it is not the people who choose their gifts, but God sets them. Then Paul gives us some special positions that are sort of, sort of ranked. The first three, apostles, prophets, teachers, are especially significant, but the order does not seem to matter as much as we get into those spiritual gifts that are ranked lower than those three. Paul notes, first, apostles. Those were the people originally chosen by Christ to be with him, commonly known as the Twelve, the Twelve Apostles. They are like the custodians of authentic gospel and witnesses of God. Prophets were second, and I'm, which I'm personally not really sure exactly who they are, but I've read some commentaries and they suggest they were like local officials. Surprisingly, teachers are high on the list as well because the Bible was not copied widely, so teachers had an especially important role in imparting truth to the hearers. After those three, Paul speaks of the spiritual gifts, not really the people who exercise them. It may be worthy to note that tongues was last on the list, even though the Corinthians seemed to highly value it. Paul speaking about gifts instead of people makes me think that he was showing that as individuals, we matter. And we may have different gifts, but we are all part of the whole body. We all have a special position in the church body. But central to our position is the wholeness of the body, the unifying force of God bringing together diverse members. The series of rhetorical questions I learned ended with a Greek article with that spelled M 
and then the E, and if you're learning pinyin, it's like the first tone, E. So I'm not sure how that's pronounced, but let's just say ma, which according to commentators indicated that Paul wanted to use no. And that's why I ask you guys to recite it with a resounding no. I love Paul's argumentative style because he is hammering the idea that diversity is part of the church body by having a natural response to the questions. So no gift can be envied or despised because all differ. Verse 31 brings us to Paul's big cliffhanger of showing the earnest desire for these gifts are warranted, but there is a more excellent way. In the tradition of a binge-worthy Netflix show, Paul has a to-be-continued sign. But that doesn't mean, because we have a to-be-continued, that doesn't mean we are without a direct application from these verses. Of course, we have a lot of don't behaviors, like don't be envious, don't be proud, don't feel useless. Around each mid-September, for the last four years, Peter and Lisa Ting would both message my wife and I and ask, isn't it your anniversary soon? Then they would give us an encouraging and celebratory words about another year as husband and wife. Sometimes they would even text me before my parents text, uh, wished us a happy anniversary. One time my wife and I hosted a lot of people at our house and out of frustration, I yelled hurtful words at Zieyu. So hurtful that I will not repeat them today. Our elder, Luke, then took me on a walk. And he didn't say much. He hugged me for a long moment. And then he prayed for me. Afterwards, I talked to J.U. and we reconciled. Several times I have received emails from different members. Xie Kun, Maggie, Brian, Jesse Lowe, and many others asking how to pray for me. And strangely, each time they send an email, I always need a prayer. Another time, we were in a group and I was quiet, which if you know me, is really uncharacteristic of who I am. I'm a big talker. And Phil asked me why. We then had a talk about what it meant to be a man in the biblical sense, because I was wrestling with the idea and how to be a better husband. Several times, Lillian cooked for J.U. and I, even when she was a doctoral student, without a full kitchen. Without this full kitchen, she made magic. Food was delectable. Then we would study God's Word while eating her delicious meal. By the way, she has had her PhD now for years. Even today, when Ian mentioned that they're gonna, that they're gonna have a baby. What did I hear? Can I hear it again? There are countless other moments from members of our church like these. And I know you all have your stories of your own. So I can ask again, what can we do? I believe we know the answer. But it's very difficult to do that just in the confines of 10 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Many of these moments 
happened at different places and at different times. But we are still part of the body. What is the real sign of a, of a spirit-filled church? Rejoicing at each other's happiness. Endeavoring with tenderness and sympathy to bear with each other's burdens and sorrows. Instead of thinking of our differences, we as a church body are, as Paul's instructions, demand a context of committed relationships. We as church members are bound to one body, sorrowing and rejoicing together. For those of you who are not members, I challenge you to take Paul's instructions seriously because self-sufficiency and self-dependence are two of the most cleverly veiled pitfalls this world has to offer. We need fellowship. We don't need self-sufficiency. We need the body. We don't need self-dependence. And more importantly, we need salvation from Christ through the oneness of his church body. Remember, we have a welcoming place, an indispensable purpose, and a special position in the church body. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the church body. We thank you for the many differences in our church congregation that, you can build each, that we can build each other up, and we ask your help in us doing that, that our words and our actions and our feelings can build each other up to strengthen the church here on earth. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to praise you here. We, can, we ask continually that we can maintain this location and this place of worship. We love you, Lord. We pray this on Jesus' name. Amen.